in this series that we call Making Our House a Home. It is an annual series that we do every single year where we invite you to participate with us in what we believe that God is calling us to do for the next year. And so we pledge our time and our talent and our treasure. If you call Crossbridge Brickle your home, if you're a member here, if you attend this church and you feel the spirit moving in you to say, I want to be a part of this community, I want to be invested here, I want to take ownership, then we want to encourage you to pledge. Because it helps us lead you, shepherd you, disciple you as you tell us how, to give your, how you want to give your time, what kind of talents you have. And also it helps us plan out our fiscal budget, our budget for next year. And steward it well so that we can really care for this city, care for you, and reach people uh, with the gospel of Jesus. As we close tonight um, our three-week series on Pledge Sunday, we're looking at really our fourth core value. Our fourth core value here is that we are catalytic to a movement. Our four core values is that we're cross-focused, community-driven, city-positive, and catalytic to a movement. We want to see a movement of the gospel in Miami through our church, through other churches, through organizations that we partner with. We want to see the gospel move in power in every neighborhood and in particular for us here in Brickell. You see, one of the things we talked about at the very beginning of this Making Our House a Home campaign two weeks ago was that Jesus' mission is very clearly stated by him. His mission is to seek and to save the lost. Now, Jesus' mission did not end when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He gives his mission to his people, which is us, the church, the followers of Christ. That's why in the New Testament we read that we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through you. So you are being used by God. God is making his appeal through you so that you could be on mission to seek and to save the lost. The good news, the gospel does in f- that very effectively. It's the most effective thing in the world. It's the good news. It changes lives. It changes everything about you. And so we are on that mission. It is God's mission that we join, which means that it requires prayer. You see, before we even jump into some of the details here in Acts chapter 11, I want to say that everything that we do The vision that we have to be a movement church as our tagline for this series is that we're a home on the move. Everything is supported and founded upon prayer. Prayer matters. There was a 19th century pastor named Arthur Pearson who said this. He said, wherever there there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Never has there been a revival, a spiritual awakening, a movement of the gospel that was not founded upon and started with united prayer. See, that's one of the things that we're going to do every Sunday going forward. We're going to be praying for a movement of the gospel in this church and in this city. We want to encourage you to join a small group and pray for that alongside of the other brothers and sisters in Christ here in this church. We want to encourage you in your own personal worship, your time with God, to pray for a movement of the gospel and be united with God's people so that we might see that take place. Because, see, this movement we're speaking about is not our movement. It's God's movement. His mission is to seek and to save the lost. He calls us to be ambassadors. He's going to make his appeal through us. So we're dependent upon him. And so we pray to him, united together as his church. But what we're going to see tonight is that prayer is not the only way that we join the movement of God. 
There are four ways that we're going to see in Acts chapter 11. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. You can always go to our app, Crossbridge Brickle. Click on the notes icon and you'll see sermon notes as well as the text. And it will be on the screen as well. There are four ways that we join God's movement. Prayer as the beginning, but then there's four more ways. And it comes out of Acts chapter 11. So let's start in verse 19. Here's what God's word says. Now there were those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So here's what's taking place. This is the very beginning of the church. The church is growing. People are coming to faith in Christ. And this man named Stephen is stoned to death for his faith. And what this creates is a scattering of all the Christians. At this time, almost all of the Christians are Jews because the church is birthed out of Jerusalem and the surrounding region of Judea. And because of the persecution that is now at hand where people are being stoned to death for their faith, there's a diaspora. There's a scattering of these Jewish Christians all throughout the known world. But at this point, the Jews are only sharing their faith with other Jews. So they go to other cities, and they're going to the synagogue, and they're speaking to other Jews that are spread across the Roman Empire. So this is what is taking place at this moment. But then we read in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So now the text takes us to this city Antioch in modern-day Turkey, and it says that there were some men from Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean, and Cyrene, which was a city in North Africa, that have, have scattered or have moved to Antioch, and upon moving there, they begin to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to Hellenists, to non-Jews, to those who are influenced by the Greek culture. These are pagans in the city. And they, they arrive with kind of no bias. They're not born out of the Jerusalem church. And so they go there not thinking, you know, everyone else, all the other Christians are just speaking to Jews because they are Jews. And so they're not in the same camp. They come from Cyprus and Cyrene. They go to Antioch and they start sharing the gospel with the Hellenist, preaching to them. And then verse 21 tells us this, and the hand of the Lord was with them, these People from Cyprus and Cyrene. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So they get there. They start preaching the gospel to everybody in the city. It's predominantly Hellenists, non-Jew, pagans, and all these people start to come to faith. They start to turn from paganism to monotheistic Christianity. This is a major shift. See, up to this point, as I said, almost everybody is Jewish, meaning they have come to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that a Messiah is coming. And they see Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies. He's the Messiah. But now you have these pagans, these Hellenists, who believe all types of different things, and they believe in different gods, and they subscribe to different philosophies, and they are now all coming to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Savior. There is one true God. Radical shift. Unbelievable transformation. 
Their beliefs are changing. Their behavior is changing. It shakes the church, as we'll see. The question is this. How did this happen? Because we read very clearly that almost everybody at this point is Jewish, that has come to faith in Christ, but now the Hellenists too. A great many people in this pagan city of Antioch. Notice, the way that the gospel moves in Antioch is through outsiders. People from Cyprus and Cyrene. No bias, not born out of the Jerusalem church. They didn't know any different. And so they just go start telling everybody about Jesus and God is, is with them, says the hand of the Lord is upon them, and all these people come to faith. You see, a church that is on the move is a church of outsiders. It is a church of outsiders. And I, I believe, in fact, what has happened to the American church is that we've forgotten this. We've forgotten that the gospel moves in the margins. It moves through the people that are outside of the center. The outsiders, like the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who just go start sharing Jesus with everybody, and they have no bias. See, in the American church, we think a lot like this. We call people to leadership in the church because they're qualified. We call the qualified. We check their credentials. We're big on titles. We want to know how long you've been a Christian. We want to make sure that you understand the Christian culture, that you know the jargon. There's a lot of things that we want to make sure that you are an insider before we give you a position of leadership or we really validate your voice or we want to see your passion used in the church. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have training and assessment and these things are not valuable. Certainly they are. But we call the qualified, but God qualifies the called. You see, God calls people and he qualifies them and it doesn't require all of the things that we put before them and he uses the outsider, the person in the margin to bring a movement of the gospel in very unexpected ways. We call the qualified, but God qualifies the called. You see, I really think we need to get this right in the church and we as a church need to understand this. You see, what we're not interested in is being insiders going to reach the outsiders to make them insiders. This is kind of how it operates a lot of times in the American church. Here are the insiders. Here are the people with the credentials. They have the education. They have the training. They know how things work in the church. They got the culture all set. They know the right things to say. They have all the right answers in the Bible study. So they are going to be the leaders. They're going to be the ones that we listen to and that we validate. They're the insiders. And they're going to go reach the outsiders. And we're going to try to make the outsiders come to the church and be just like us. Talk like us. Look like us. Act like us. Think exactly like us. We call the qualified according to our definitions, but God qualifies the called. See, a movement of the gospel is when outsiders are welcome to participate and lead. God works in the margins time and time again. We just saw this a couple weeks ago with Zacchaeus and Rahab. Time and time again, God works with the outsiders, the person in the margins, he qualifies them because he's called them to be an ambassador and to lead. And I want to say this. If you are an outsider, you believe yourself to be an outsider, you're new to church, this is your first time ever to church, you've been to church a few times in your life, or you just feel like you don't know all the right things to say, you are not only welcome to participate in this church, but you are welcome to lead in this church. Outsiders can lead. 
And if you're online and you're watching from afar because you don't feel like you're prepared to come inside to this church, you can come. You can come and you can lead and you can worship and you can ask your questions. It's one of the reasons that we say here all the time that you can belong before you believe. Because we want outsiders to be here in the church. To wrestle through their faith. To ask questions. To share their thoughts, their perspective, their opinions. God moves in and through the outsider. You see, a church on the move values the outsider not just to participate, but to lead. Here's what happens as the outsiders in Antioch begin to lead and a movement of the gospel takes place. Look at verse 22 through 24. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they hear about what's happening. It shakes them. They're not sure about it. So they send their most qualified person, Barnabas, I'll explain why in a moment, to go check it out. Is this for real? When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful and to this Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the the church in Jerusalem, the insiders, the very center of Christianity, here's what's happening on the outside in Antioch about these men of Cyprus and Cyrene and all these Hellenists are coming to faith and they're thinking, I don't know about this. Is their theology right? Let me go check it out. Let's send our most qualified person, Barnabas, who is called here a good man. That's an understatement. Barnabas is an incredible man, a great man. He was a Jewish Levite, so he was a high court official in the Jewish religion, had a lot of influence and power, came to faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 4, we read that he sells his property, takes all of the profit, and brings it to the movement of the gospel through the church, gives it away. You see, Barnabas' faith was so deep, it was so real, it was so felt that they changed his name. His name was Joseph. We know him as Barnabas, but that's really just a nickname. Barnabas means son of encouragement. His life and his faith and the way that he lived was such an encouragement, they just called him encouragement. That's his name, Barnabas. You have a new name now because you're a great man. You're a really good man. So we're going to send you to go check it out. So he gets to Antioch to see what's going on there, and he begins to see how God's spirit is moving. It says he sees the grace of God upon these people, and he is so glad. And then the text tells us that he exhorts them. The word there is parakale, which means to come alongside, to give encouraging instruction, is to lift someone up. So he exhorts them. He encourages them. He lifts them up. He comes alongside of them. And what does he encourage them to do? To remain faithful. He just lifts them up. Remain faithful to the Lord. He doesn't come in with this, okay, now you guys are new to the faith. You're coming from paganism to Christianity. Big change. We're going to do a lecture series to make sure everything gets right. And you're really tapped in. You understand the culture here. We don't want you to go out of bounds. We don't want the church to be kind of weird here in Antioch. We want to just just be like the Jerusalem church. Here's how we do it. No, he just comes in. He sees the spirit moving. All these people coming to faith and he encourages them. See, a church on the move has a ministry of encouragement. A ministry of encouragement. It is a ministry of encouragement. And when this takes place, this ministry of encouragement, what do we read? 
we read that even more people, verse 24, were added to the Lord. We don't read anything about Barnabas going out and preaching in the streets. Certainly, certainly he was sharing the gospel with people that he met in the marketplace and in the city. We read that people came to faith in Jesus because he was encouraging to the church. Because he was exhorting them and walking alongside of them and lifting them up. You see, God moves in encouragement. When you come to this church, I want you to come thinking about bringing a ministry of encouragement. For us to be on the move, this church needs to be a place of encouragement. Not a place of criticism, not a place of gossip, not a place of passivity, not a place of silence or spectators alone. A place where people are encouraged. Lift it up. Given instruction, but in a way that is not demeaning or condescending, but is a belief in what God can do through them. Encouragement, exhortation, walking alongside of people. Nobody lives the Christian faith alone. See, that is a prayer here. That no person in this church lives their faith alone. Amen? You don't walk alone. The church is a ministry of encouragement. And a church on the move must be a ministry of encouragement. Why? Because you can talk about vision all you want in church. But vision without encouragement is theoretical. Vision with encouragement is applied. Think about relationships. Relationships without encouragement are cold and fragile. But relationships with encouragement? They're deeply rooted they're warm. There's something powerful about encouragement. See, even think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God tells us his promises and the vision that he has for this earth and for his people, his mission, all the way back in the Old Testament. And the law and the prophets in the Old Testament are giving these, in, these encouragements, these, this vision about what God is going to do. And then it is applied in Jesus. We don't believe in a faith where God just says things but doesn't actually live them out. Doesn't actually demonstrate them. Jesus applies it with his life. Our faith is bolstered and we are brought about before the Lord through the ministry of encouragement. When you come to meet Jesus, God does not cast judgment on you. He does not call you, he does not bring up all of your shame or your guilt. In fact, he says the exact opposite. When you come to faith in Christ, what do you receive from God? Forgiveness, love, peace, shame gone, guilt gone, the burden you carry gone. Jesus says, I'll take it from you, in fact. Encouragement, deep, profound encouragement. A church on the move is a church not of criticism and gossip or silence or passivity. Or, and it's not an individual faith either. It's a ministry of encouragement. So as it goes forward, this, all these people have come to faith through the men of, of Cyrene and Cyprus. And they're preaching to the Hellenists. And then Barnabas comes and he encourages them. And more people come to faith. And then... Barnabas realizes that he cannot do this alone. So it says this in verse 26 or 25. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. This is the apostle Paul before his name was changed to Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called 
Christians. Look what happens here. Barnabas is in Antioch. All these people have come to faith. They're Jews. They're non-Jews. Hellenists. They've converted from paganism or they were raised as religious Jews going to the synagogue. This is this diverse church. And now Barnabas says, I, I can't do this alone. And so he needs to go bring someone to go and minister alongside of him. And who does he look for? The Apostle Paul. Now, in retrospect, we're like, of course, like Apostle Paul is like the greatest person to go get. He's the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Like, obvious choice. But this is in, near the beginning of Paul's ministry. He's still Saul. He's not Paul yet. And who is Paul? Who is Saul? An outsider. That interesting. See, the church scattered because of the stoning of Stephen. And it, all of this happens because of that event. Do you know who was standing there at the stoning of Stephen, holding the coats of the men that were stoning Stephen to death? Paul. That's before he came to faith in Jesus. He's standing there watching Stephen get stoned to death. And when he comes to faith as he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, the church in Jerusalem is skeptical. And they kind of keep Paul at bay for a little bit until they see the, the way that God's working in his ministry. So Barnabas says, let me go get Saul. He's down in Tarshish. Bring him here. He's an outsider too. He'll be an encouragement to this community. And they stay there together. And there, in that city, you get your name. Christian. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, there in that city, a city of outsiders. People have come to faith from all different places and backgrounds. There, they're first called Christians. Now, they don't give themselves this title. The city of the culture gives them this title. Because this is a peculiar community. See, for what was taking place in that day, it was really easy to identify different kind of people groups. The Jews believed in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. They were racially, ethnically Jewish from the Israeli-Palestinian area of the world. They were from there, and they believed. And so these are Jews. They have a synagogue. We're very, we can very clearly define them. And then the Hellenists were also kind of easy to define because though they may have been from some different places, they had something in common, which was they all believed whatever they wanted to believe. There was no kind of belief that binded them together other than the fact that they were influenced by the Greek culture. So that's like being a Brickleite, right? That can mean a lot of different things. It just means that you probably live around Brickle, you spend a lot of time in Brickle, and you use that term, which I don't think you should use that term. It's kind of a weird term. You know, Brickleite. Feels weird to say. Even. It's like Miamian. That also feels weird to me. I don't know why. But what's happening in the culture is they see these people and they want to label them. They're like, okay, hold on. We have a community of people. We have Jews who no longer believe in the religion that Jews hold to, but they believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Then we have these pagans who are Hellenists, but they've also come to believe in Jesus. And we have people here from Antioch and from the surrounding region and people from Israel that are also here and people from North Africa that are also here and people from Cyprus that are also here. And they're all together. They're very different. It's extremely diverse, but they all believe the same thing and they seek to behave in the same way. And so they label them Christians, followers of Christ. 
That's the one thing that binds this church together. They believe in Jesus and they want to follow him. You see, a church on the move is a diverse church. It is a diverse church. And diversity in age, in race, in language, in culture, in social status, in spiritual placement or maturity, full of skeptics and people that are sure, diverse. A church on the move is diverse. And I want to say something. That is this. Diversity isn't a goal. It's a reality. It isn't a goal. It's a reality. You see, the house of God is diverse. How do I know that? Well, just look at Scripture. Revelation, we see the church, the universal church. And what does it say? People from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every culture gathered together to worship God before his throne. The church of God, the house of God, is diverse. It isn't a goal, it's a reality. And so a church on the move seeks to live in that reality. To live as a diverse church. Which means that when, when the church is moving in the city with the gospel, it is moving towards all people. Not a subset of people. Not a certain culture of people. Not people that hold to certain agreed upon theological convictions. No, all people from all backgrounds, all denominations, all upbringings, with all kinds of doubts, with all types of past that you would want no one to know about, all people. All people. Because the house of God is diverse. And we're called to live in that reality. And it's also not something that we accept only. Diversity isn't accepted, rather it is celebrated. It's celebrated. How amazing is it that our faith is full of people of every country, of every language, of every background, with every type of history. There, you can't say, here's what a Christian looks like. Here's how a Christian acts. Here's how a Christian speaks. If you've traveled and you've been to churches in other places, you know the church is very diverse. Some services are five hours long. Some are, they engage in worship in very different ways. All types of different expressions of people worshiping God. The church of God is diverse. We live in that reality and we celebrate it. And that is one of the things I love about this church. It's one of the things I love most about this church is that we seek to live in that reality and celebrate it. And I want you to feel that for a moment. So I want to do an exercise. Are you down for an exercise? Okay, are you down for an exercise? Okay, this is going to be like participation. Don't worry, you don't have to raise your hand or do anything you don't want to do. All it requires is clapping. Can everybody clap? Give me a one-time clap. There we go. Okay, we're ready to go. Hey, if you're at home online, you can clap by yourself. It's okay. Okay. I want you to clap if I say something that is true of you. Okay. If I say something that is true of you, I want you to clap. Maybe give a couple claps so that way it doesn't feel like, like, clap, 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 clap. Kind of, kind of weird. Okay. So the first question is this. I want you to clap if you're from South Florida. Clap. I want you to clap if you're from somewhere else in the United States. I want you to clap if you're from another country. 
I want you to clap if you speak Spanish. I want you to clap if you speak Portuguese. I want you to clap if you speak a different language. I want you to clap if you, if you have been a Christian for less than five years. I want you to clap if you've been a Christian from five to 15 years. If you've been a Christian for more than 15 years. We could keep going. You see, there are people in this church from every, not every country, that would be unbelievable. We rename our church. All nations. And we mean it. We have people from all over the world, all over the United States, all different places in their faith, speak multiple languages, different ages, different economic realities. All of these things are true of this church. And we are to celebrate it. Because God is on a mission to reach all people, not just certain people, all people with every type of background, with every doubt. He's on a mission to reach them. See, a church on the move is a diverse church. It's inviting outsiders to lead. It's a ministry of encouragement. It's diverse. And then lastly, we see the fourth marker, the fourth way that we join the movement of God in the last couple verses, verse 27 through 30. Now in these days the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus, what a name, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, the followers of Christ, determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So Agabus comes, he's a prophet, to the church in Antioch. And as he is there, he tells them, this, he gives this vision, this prophecy that was foretold to him by the Spirit, that there's going to be a famine. And as they hear about this reality, this vision that's going, that has not happened, but is coming, they think about their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and in Judea, who do not have nearly as much financial security as they do, and they're under heavier persecution. And they think, we need to help them. We need to gather resources together, and everyone does according to their ability to help out the church in Jerusalem. People they've never met. In fact, even people who didn't even originally see fit to preach the gospel to those Hellenists, the majority of that church. And yet they live generously. The fourth way that you join the movement of God, a church on the move, is a generous church. A church cannot move in the city. God does not use a church in powerful and mighty ways that is not generous. You see, what we see here is that there's a spirit-filled vision that comes by the way of Agabus. It says it was foretold to him by the Spirit. There's going to be a famine. And then when they hear of this Spirit-filled vision, everyone gives according to their ability. Everyone. Not a few people. Not the main leaders. Everyone gives according to their ability. Everyone. And it supports a church that will experience a severe famine and helps them to feel sustained and loved, and the ministry of encouragement comes to that church by way of the generosity of the church in Antioch. A church on the move is a generous 
church. You see, what Antioch, the church in Antioch understood, which is what we are to understand, is that we are not a church for ourselves. We are not a church for ourselves. Can I get an amen to that? Listen, it's not about how big of a church you have or how many people or all the great programs. Those things are great. It's about being a church in the city for the people, for other people. Being a church for people that are not in this room. Outsiders. Living a ministry of encouragement. Seeking to live generously. And it requires everyone to be involved. A church is on the move. It's not a church that has great preaching or that has great music or powerful prayer in a Sunday service or great programs. It's not about these individual experiences. A church that God uses on the move is when everyone comes together according to their ability and gives. What time they have available for God to use, what talents they have available for God to use, and what treasure they have available to God, for God to use. You see, we have a spirit-filled vision that God has given us. As he's told us we are ambassadors to be used in this city and God would make his appeal through us. Here's the spirit-filled vision. We want to reach people in Miami for the gospel. In Brickell, in particular, you have a, a, a people here, 100,000 more people that are eating and consuming this false satisfaction. They believe themselves to be secure, but I know many struggle with loneliness. They believe themselves to be satisfied, but there will be a time where they experience a famine of their soul. You see, so many people here are like, how much money can I make, and what's my reputation, and what do my weekends look like, and what kind of clothes do I wear, and what do people say about me online? This false sense of satisfaction that so many people are chasing here in the city. And the question is, who will be for the city and the people of the city to say, hey, listen, I've got the bread of life that's actually going to satisfy your soul. The things you're running after will never satisfy you. But Jesus will. I want to encourage you to, to come hear about him. I want to tell you about him. How what time can I give to you? What talents can I do to serve you? How can I give of myself? Because I don't want to live just for me. I want to live for others. I want to live for people here. And it takes all of us. I really believe that next year in particular, God's going to do something amazing here in, through this church, in this city, through Crossbridge, across this city. Because I believe that so many people are going to say, you know what? I don't have a lot, but I have time, I have talent, and I have treasure, and I can give it, and I believe God's going to use it. He's going to use it to bring people to come to see that they don't have to live with a famine of their soul. They can be full, satisfied. I want to close with having you watch a video. Because one of the things that we say all the time here, and Simone said this earlier, is that your generosity, what you give to this church of your time, your talent, and in particular, as you'll see in this video, through your treasure... It serves and supports and cares for people that you may, have, you, you may never meet and you don't know about. There was, in fact, as you'll see, one of these moments, an Antioch to Jerusalem moment that took place in the past two years through Crossbridge, helping support our church and one of our good friends, Hobson, the pastor there in the past two years as he was going through difficulties. And we were able to do it because you were generous. So I want to thank you for being generous and engaging in the work of the gospel here. I want to invite you to watch this video. Olá, meu nome é Robson. 
Sou pastor plantador da Igreja Presbiteriana de Perdizes, tenho 37 anos. Onze anos atrás eu conheci o Felipe, aonde ele estava ministrando uma palestra que ele falava o seguinte, que todo o processo de revitalização se inicia com a morte daquele grupo. Eu só não entendi muito bem o significado daquelas palavras, afinal de contas eu estava plantando uma igreja no Rio de Janeiro e plantaria uma igreja em São Paulo alguns anos depois. Há quatro anos atrás, mudei para cá para iniciar um projeto de plantação. Apresentei para o Felipe, junto a gente sonhou, junto a gente desenhou, junto a gente pensou no, no DNA, mas eu não havia entendido ainda aquelas palavras, eu só fui entender. No ano de 2019, quando eu fiquei gravemente doente. Naquele momento, eu tinha descoberto que eu tinha ranceníase, lepra. E eu sei, nós sabemos do poder incapacitante desta doença. Meu coração estava num momento muito difícil. Em 2020, o Felipe veio para cá, veio me visitar, veio ele, Beth. E eu não sabia que ainda o pior viria a acontecer. Eu fico gravemente doente. Eu não conseguia descrevê-la. Eu sofri um, um efeito adverso da, do corticoide e eu fiquei apático. Eu lembro deles terem mostrado a foto da minha família, eu não sentia absolutamente nada, nem um sentimento. Eu não conseguia sentir o sabor das coisas. Eu não via o dia passar. Minha mente se apagou, eu estava imóvel, eu não conseguia fazer nada. É como se a minha psique houvesse morrido. Milacrosamente, a vida veio depois de três, quatro dias. E mesmo o médico havendo dito que eu não voltaria mais. Estavam tratando da minha internação numa clínica psiquiátrica. Eu não sabia andar, não sabia falar. Eu precisava começar tudo de novo. A revitalização se dá depois da morte. A minha vida estava sendo revitalizada. Aprendi tudo de novo. No final de 2020 para 2021, já esse ano, recuperado, voltei à vida, respirava fundo. Só que eu não sabia que outro acidente aconteceria. Sofri com uma embolia pulmonar, um tromboembolismo. Tive um infarto no, nos pulmões, quase vinha óbito. Fiquei 30 dias internado, tive covid e no final dessa internação, o meu nervo havia se rompido. Eu não consigo mais levantar o braço a certa altura. E essa lesão, ela causa atrofia no meu braço. Todos os dias hoje eu tenho lutado para que isso não ocorra. Fisioterapia quatro vezes por semana. Eu não vou poder jogar mais vôlei. Não, eu nunca joguei. Foi brincadeira. <risos> Mas o que eu quero dizer é que eu estava começando a enxergar a vida por um outro prisma. E ainda continuo enxergando. É aquelas palavras que o Felipe havia dito há 11 anos atrás. Hoje eu as entendo. A vida se dá depois da morte. E hoje, uau. A Crossbridge não só me deu todo o suporte, mas me adotou como parte da família. E mais do que isso, depois de eu colocar todo o meu coração despedaçado, dilacerado, eles resolveram ainda mais 
se aproximar e ajudar as iniciativas da igreja aqui. A igreja cresceu, o portal avançou, nossos trabalhos na comunidade prosperaram, a igreja está passando por um processo de crescimento de novo, pós-Covid, e vocês têm feito parte dessa história. É incrível isso. Eu sei hoje o significado de família, o significado de movimento, de que igrejas ajudam a igreja, e que existem pessoas que a gente pode compartilhar o nosso coração. Isso que eu acredito, o movimento. E é isso que a Crossbridge tem ensinado a gente aqui. E é esse o meu papel hoje. Acolher, porque fui acolhido. Ajudar, porque fui ajudado. Adotar, porque fui adotado. Sou muito grato a Deus por homens e mulheres como vocês. Pela Igreja de Perdizes, pela Crossroads Church. You see, we say all the time that uh, your generosity reaches people and places that you may never know. And you got a glimpse into Hobson's story. Part of our church family in Sao Paulo, and God is using him in amazing ways. His church is reaching people in the city center of Sao Paulo. And they're, we're working alongside of them as they're building out a community center to care for a, a neighboring uh, favela. And we're hoping to actually be building this community center called the portal in the next year or so. Because of your generosity, we were able to come alongside of him and help him through all those medical conditions and to help support his church. You see, churches help churches, as he said. And a movement is when you realize that you are not a church for yourself. You are a church for other people. You are a church that is beyond the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the lost. That we are to be reaching the outsider and inviting them to lead, to speak. We are to be a ministry of encouragement. We are to be diverse and to celebrate that and to live generously. And so as we close... I pray and we come to the Lord's table together, I want to ask you uh, to consider one of two things. There are two pledges. One pledge is this. If you're new to Crossbridge, you've been coming for a couple weeks, a couple months, I, I want to encourage you to pledge to come here. Be a part of this community. Be a part of this church. Don't feel pressure to take the pledge of this card that's a pledge of time, talent, and treasure. Just pledge to be a part of this community. Get to know people. We welcome you here. But if you are a part of this community, if this is your church, I want to encourage you to pledge. Pledge for next year. You may not know, I don't know what my time's going to look like, my talents, or even my financial situation with my treasure. It's okay. Pledge in faith. Pledge how you want to be used, and we want to to work together through the generosity of everyone, giving according to what they have, so we might see God use us on the move here in the city next year. Amen?